Thank you for listening to First United Methodist Church of Locust Grove Sermon Podcast. Our mission at this church is to live God's way, share God's story, and serve God's people. One of the ways that we share God's story is that we offer up our sermon podcast for you to listen to. So we hope that you enjoy listening to our sermons. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go online at www.fumclgok.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. great joy to be with you this morning. My name is Derek Belace. I'm the Director of Discipleship for the Oklahoma Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. It's an extension ministry of uh, our church, which we're thankful uh, for folks at Tahlequah and the other uh, 480-some churches across our annual conference that contribute to the connectional ministries of our church through the paying of your apportionment. So a small part of what you just gave in your offering goes to help uh, pay my salary and others who work uh, at what we call the conference office, or we like to call it the ministry center because we believe that ministry happens there. Some people call it the headquarters, but it's located in Oklahoma City, right next to Oklahoma City University. And it's out of there that we do all the connectional ministries of our annual conference. The ones I'm responsible for, primarily have to do with the programming ministries of our annual conference, things like youth and young adults, rural churches, spiritual formation. Uh, I deal with a lot of our uh, statistics of the annual conference and uh, create taxonomies of churches and come up with strategies to help our existing churches revitalize to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's the mission of the United Methodist Church. And so every once in a while, I get opportunities uh, like this to come out into local churches uh, and to preach on Sunday morning or to offer workshops or other ways uh, in conferences and uh, in districts and in local churches. Uh, And so this morning, at the invitation of Matt Franks, a good friend of mine who's uh, out on a mission uh, opportunity, it's a great joy for me to be here. My family's with me this morning because we're traveling from here on uh, to uh, weeks of vacation as spring break is beginning. So uh, my wife, uh, Rebecca, And our daughters, Madison and Elizabeth, are here this morning, uh, and it's a joy to be with you. Uh, They're sitting with uh, a longtime family friend of ours, uh, Valeria Luster, who is a part of your congregation, but was a part of my congregation for a long time when she was a a youth of the six years I was serving at Highland Park Church in Stillwater, where another person connected to this church, Kristen Brown, was confirmed, and where her family attended church. Uh, for a long time Uh, and of course uh, Jane Bond and I have a long friendship as we were uh, dean and assistant dean of the conference school of mission together Uh, so it really feels like I'm uh, mostly at home with you so if I go long uh, you won't be upset because I don't have a pulpit every week I don't get to preach very often so sometimes I really get going because I don't have the chance to do this every week the only thing that's saving you is that last week I did preach uh, down in Ada two services so maybe I got a little of that out of me then The scripture reading that I had uh, selected this morning for this sermon series uh, that you're in, the five fruitful practices of faithful congregations, was Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. But if it's all right, I want to start at verse 21, so three verses earlier, uh, and then we'll get to 24, which might be on your screen. So if you're following there, I'm going to start with Matthew 7, verse uh, 21, and then go to 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. But everyone 
then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. When he had finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as their scribes. The word of God for the people of God. Well, as Matt said last week in the opening of uh, his sermon, this is the season of Lent. We're in the second week of the season of Lent. And this season is a time for us to focus our lives and our connection with God through various practices which help us prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus again at the resurrection and at Easter. And he's working his way with you through this book by Robert Schnazy, The Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. And last week you looked at uh, radical hospitality. What does it mean to welcome those who come into your congregations in ways that seem different maybe than ways you have thought about it before? Through welcoming and, and through listening and through engaging in the stories of people who are here. And I think that he suggested that you use that 510 link rule. We use that at the church that we attend. That you spend five minutes before and after worship talking to those you might not know. That you spend ten minutes or look for people ten feet around you. That you might could connect with someone else. And then to connect them, to link them with somebody who might have something in common with them. But you know what that takes to do? You have to know each other well enough to know how to connect somebody else you have to know the stories of one another the connections in other words you have to practice some intentionality within the life of the congregation and that's what we're going to talk a bit about this morning the practice of intentional faith development the work that I'm about at the annual conference is about helping our churches be more intentional about making disciples because my contention is this my my bet is this that most of our churches are producing with the intentionality that they intend to produce so when churches tell me we're not making that many disciples and I begin to ask about their system for doing that they can't really describe that they have one in the first place so this morning and following up with this idea of radical hospitality, let's spend a few moments talking about intentional faith development. I want to begin with these words from Anne Lamott from her essay, Why I Make Sam Go to Church. See if this rings a bell with any of you. She says her son never wants to go to church because he's the only little boy among his friends who attends church. But Anne makes him go week after week. The short answer to the question she writes in her essay is quite simple. I make him go because I can. I outweigh him by 75 pounds. Of course he doesn't want to go to worship. But he doesn't want to floss. He doesn't want to have any hard work ever. But I can't give him that without injuring him. It's good to do uncomfortable things, she writes. It's weight training for life. That's the image I want us to use this morning as we think about intentional development on this second Sunday of Lent, that intentional faith development is weight training for life. For Anne Lamont, intentional faith development is that in, 
is that simple act of showing up week after week with her son Sam in their little church in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now maybe that's what intentional faith development was for you. It certainly was for me in my own life. Going to church week after week, going to Sunday school when I didn't want to go, going to youth group sometimes because my mom and dad made me. All of those activities taken by themselves may not seem intentional, but when taken together, they begin to have some intentionality around them. So according to Bishop Snazy in his book, intentional faith development refers to purposeful learning in community that helps followers of Jesus Christ mature in faith. So if, if, if radical hospitality is about prevenient grace, if it's about welcoming people in and showing them the love of Christ, sometimes before they even know it, then intentional faith development is both about justifying grace, it's about saying yes to Jesus Christ, and it's about moving on in perfection, in, into Christian sanctification, into that, that perfect love of God and neighbor. And how do we do it? Well, Snazy says like this, through Bible studies or Sunday school classes or short-term topical studies or support groups, anything that helps us apply the faith to the daily challenges of life. Our scripture reading this morning points to intentional faith development in a very interesting way. Matthew 7 verses 21 through 27 is an important text as we think about our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. For in this text, Jesus is addressing two very different crowds. First, those who deceive themselves into thinking that extraordinary religious activity is a substitute for the obedience to the will of God. He wants the people to know that prophesying in his name or driving out demons in his name or performing miracles in his name, that none of those things are enough. It's never enough to enter the kingdom of heaven unless what we're doing is a part of God's will. And then in verses 24 through 27, Jesus gets even more specific. Here he addresses those who have heard great preaching, even heard Jesus himself preaching, and whose lives still exhibit no evidence of obedience. Unlike the people in the previous verse, these people haven't even tried to do anything for the kingdom of heaven. Notice that in these verses, he does not pronounce a word of judgment like he did in verse 23. Life itself, Jesus says, will be the revelation for hearing without doing. In other words, Jesus says, I don't even need to pronounce a word of judgment. Your life itself will be the evidence. Your life will evidence your lack of intentionality to hearing and putting in to action God's word. So how does Jesus aptly describe it in this passage? He compares two different lives, one that's built on the rock and one that's built on sand. Regardless of what comes, the house built on the rock will remain standing. Not so, of course, with the house built on the sand. Any change, rain or wind, for example, will topple the sand house. That seems to be an apt description for intentional faith development. If at any time we begin to lose our intentionality about building our house of faith, we've moved from the rock to the sand. 
So as we think about this second practice for fruitful congregations, let me share this perspective from Diana Butler Bass as she describes a lively faith. A lively faith, she says, is not located in buildings or programs or organizations or structures. Rather, spiritual vitality lives in human beings. It's located in the heart of God's people and then in the communities that they form. So when I talk about intentional faith development, I'm talking about that communal learning that replicates the way that Jesus deliberately taught his disciples. I don't know about you, but I'm convinced that people cannot learn grace or forgiveness or patience or kindness or gentleness or joy simply by reading about it in a book. These are aspects of spiritual formation that one learns in community through intentional engagement. That sanctifying spirit of God's presence works through these practices to help us grow in the grace and knowledge of God's love. You see, intentional faith development is itself a spiritual practice. Maybe you liken it to a sport in which one has to exercise to stay in shape. We have to exercise these spiritual practices to become who God wants us to be. It's both about practice and pursuit. So if that's the case, then here's what intentional faith development is. It's intentional because we're on a road or a path. It's faith because it's not obvious. It's not something we can see, but we know it's real. And it's development in that we need to take the gifts we've been given and exercise and sharpen and make them stronger. So how does intentional faith happen? Well, it's a lifelong process. It does not happen all at once. And in American culture, we're inclined towards instant gratification. Maybe that's why Snazy starts his practices with radical hospitality. Because that's something that you can see and practice in an instant. Not so with intentional faith development. This is a lifelong process. If children attend Sunday school on a regular basis, they'll be exposed to the major stories of the Bible from Moses being placed in the water to Jesus being raised from the dead at Easter, but that won't happen in one or two weeks. If children sing in the choirs, they learn to praise God and use their gifts, and eventually they become leaders in worship. When children go to camp, they begin to appreciate God's creation in a different way. When youth participate in confirmation and then youth fellowship and youth camp, something develops. We call that faith. They become leaders and servants. And what's true for children and youth is just as essential for adults, but it doesn't happen in an instant. It's a process. It's showing up week after week in Sunday school and in Bible studies and in worship services. Maybe that's why we say 90% of life is showing up. Or as Eugene Peterson calls it, a long obedience in the same direction. So I want to say this clearly. You're not just good if you show up for church and bad if you don't. Simply being in a place, though, where faith develops increases the odds that you will have the skills and the knowledge and the desire 
to live by faith. And if that's important to you, and you show up week after week, even when you don't want to, even when you wish you could be somewhere else, then it becomes important to the people around you. They begin to see something in you that they want to model in their own life. And the flip side is you may never know when you may be doing that intentional faith development so that someone else sees that in their lives. They may be missing that opportunity. They may be missing that engagement, but seeing you faithfully do it week after week, month after month, year after year, gives them the desire to do the same. I shared in my own church just a few weeks ago that in 1997, my dad became very ill and died within nine weeks of a diagnosis of cancer. That was a very, very rough time in my own life. And I began to question all kinds of things about God and all kinds of things about my faith and began to wonder if it was real. But the one thing I never gave up on was going to church week after week. And most of the time I went and I was empty inside. But I would stand next to people who were praying and singing and believing that something was happening. And it was enough for me to remain close to them such that that spark of faith began to come back. And I began to see life in a new way. And now some 20 years later, that's the same church that we now attend as a family. And I shared with them just recently the act of faith, the act of intentional faith development that was for me to know that they were singing and praying and studying even when I couldn't. But simply being in their presence was enough to bring me back to that place. So my point is this, you may never know who's watching you. You may never know who needs you to show up and be participating in these practices and focusing on the things of faith because they may be looking for that in their own lives. That's a part of our witness. That's a part of why the season of Lent comes around every year to remind us that we must refocus, if you will, to double down on the things that are important in our lives, to build our faith on the rock that is Christ, not on the shifting sands of life. Now let me tell you, those changes don't come instantaneously. But they do come out of intentionality. So how can you be intentional about your faith development? How can you use this Lenten season to take the first step or the next step in your own intentional faith development? How can you commit your entire life to God and then begin moving toward that kind of life God wants for you? Here's a laundry list of the things that Matt told me already go on right here in Tahlequah. You've got children, youth, and adult Sunday school. You have youth group and children's programming and confirmation classes 
and beautiful worship, including a choir and bell choir and children's moments and sacraments and, and a worship group. You've got small groups. You've got United Methodist Women's Circles. You've got men's Bible study. You've got quilters. You have chapel for Little Sprouts Preschool. You've got online Bible study and numerous mission trips throughout the year and trips to the Eastern Oklahoma Food Bank and serving the Wesley Foundation and connecting with people like Kristen Brown. If you can't find something in that list, then you need to put a mirror under your nose and see if you're still breathing. Because there's some way that you can work on intentionally developing your faith. And if nothing on that list sparked anything in you, then go start something. Or reach out to Matt and see what he might help you start. Just as important as it is to welcome people in to the body of Christ through radical hospitality, so it is that we intentionally develop our faith as we follow this one called Jesus. In his book, Christ and Culture, Richard Niebuhr says the Christian is simply one who believes in Jesus Christ or is a follower of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to write this, a Christian counts him or herself as a member of the community in which the words, the deeds, and the destiny of Jesus Christ is of supreme importance and the key to understanding themselves in the world. But let me say this clearly. Before we can understand ourselves in the world, we must begin to understand what it is that Jesus expects us to do in the world. How does Jesus expect us to live in the world? And to understand what Jesus wants us to do, we must be intentional about developing our faith. Else we find ourselves building our house of faith on sand rather than on the rock. Our rock is Jesus. And when we build our lives on that rock, nothing can move us. So as you move deeper into this season of Lent, what might you do? Not only to radically welcome people, but to intentionally develop your faith. Let us pray. God, we're thankful for these moments in which we have to focus our attention on you and on our lives with you. As we heard in that beautiful anthem just a few moments ago, it starts in a bulb and then a flower. It starts in a seed and then an apple tree. It starts in a cocoon as a hidden promise that a beautiful butterfly will soon be free. It comes to us out of the stony cold of winter, but we know there's always a spring that waits to be. It is unrevealed, and yet moment by moment it's revealed to us each and every day as we open your words and as we intentionally develop as we intentionally develop into the followers of Christ your son who you would have us to be so help us to focus not on the changing sands of time but on the solid rock your son in whose name we pray 
We hope you've enjoyed listening to the sermon this week, and we'd love to have you come and join us one Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. If you'd like to find out more about what we've got going on in the church, you can go online at www.fumclgok.org. And this week, may God work on you and work through you as you live, share, and serve.